big red light is on. It says we're recording. Oh, what are my notes? What did my wife tell me to say? <laughs> All right. This is Diapers and Disciples, episode 105. On Diapers and Disciples, we're talking about living out the Great Commission as a family. I'm Cameron O'Hearn, and today I'm chatting with fellow Catholic, husband, father, dad, man, fellow sweatshirt lover, Nathan Beckman. I'm talking to him about foster parenting, all the questions you're too afraid to ask, how to be a dad, all those things. Hi, Nathan. Hey, Cameron. Thanks for inviting me to your garage. <laughs> you're welcome. Glad it's, you would come. <laughs> it sounds like it's haunted. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you hear a weird noise, it's because this garage is haunted. Right. And there's uh, a good amount of evidence for that, which we don't have to go into. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but you will hear a nice, uh, cozy fire. And that is not a sound effect. That is a real fire. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers to you. So what are some things that you... You know what? Let me start off with an easy question. Great. What do you think about BLM and feminism and critical race theory and Obama? Yeah, it's a pretty easy one for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll sum it all up in one word. No, um, <laughs> Interesting. Hmm, Complicated. So uh, what kind of things do you like in recently? Um, so I think... I'm just trying to warm yeah. you up. Yeah, absolutely. So what I've been really into recently is I like reading uh, Norwegian <laughs> novels, I guess. right? I'm reading a little bit of Singer to Unset right now. I like a lot. Okay. I just like reading. I like... Um, I have read a little bit of her, mm-hmm. yeah. but I'm not bragging. Just right. one book, the uh, Sigrid... Or Ingrid... Wait, what's it called? Sigrid... Sigrid Unset. Uh, oh, that's the, that's the author, but Kristen Lovren's daughter. Yeah, that's Lovren's daughter. Yeah, good, yeah. That's good. I'm, I'm rereading that one right now. And uh, yeah... It's good. I like it, but it's not always happy, I guess. And so it's just a really interesting look into uh, the life of somebody who, you know, I don't want to give anything away. But, you know, <laughs> well, because if you give a beautiful if you say, like, one plot point, it's like the whole book. It's like three things happen, which I'm not saying it's a bad book. It's just when I read it, I was hoping for, like, you know, um, twists and turns yeah. and, like, um, yeah, it's Set a slow, ups, upsets. It's a slow look into one person, really. And I actually just realized I didn't. I didn't know this. That it, I think it's historical, right? Some of the notes. Oh, really? Like okay. Something that happened with the Norway Norwegian nobles and some sort of okay coup. So, is there other things she's written that you're also reading? Um, I have read like Gunnar's Daughter. That's a, another one of hers, which is hmm. um, pretty good too. That one. That one was classic, though. Is this like a daughter trilogy? Um, so. Daughter. <laughs> Kristen Lovren's daughter is a trilogy itself. Gunnar's daughter is just someone else. I think mm. it's just probably just the names that were around. Um, but yeah, that's also a great book. You know, there's a a woman in it, Vigdis, and um, at one point, I don't think this, this gives too much away, um, but she lost some of her fingers, her middle three fingers, and so in college we used to sort of do sort of like the hang loose sign and say <laughs> Vigdis. <laughs> but also some very self sacrificing, and I think. I think rereading it now, like with kids, it's very different. I think that's true about a lot of literature mm-hmm. where, um, you know, there's uh, passages where it's just about a mother or a father and their child. And I think it just it hits differently. And so like, mm. that's another re- reason to, I guess, reread it if 
you've read it once before, mm. just because yeah, really different. S- had the same experience with rereading things like um, Lord of the Rings, even right when you read it back in high school versus after you're grown up. I read it for the first time a few years ago, so I read it, you know, as a grown up. And even now, if I reread it, it would just you could just keep plumbing the depths of it. Oh yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's great. Um, one thing I'm enjoying recently is um, I'm working on designing a board game, and it sounds really fun, and I love it, and it is really fun, but it's also really hard because <laughs> you 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 put something together like okay, I'm gonna have some dice, and here's all these stickers I have to put on the dice, and then like symbols, and like here's the character, and here's the map I'm designing, here's some enemies. Um, and then you play it, and it's just not fun. Oh, no. Uh, and it, it's, it's kind of a job. It feels like kind of work, but there's this, like, really strong desire in me to make a fun board game yeah. that's, like, on the shelves. And so I'm going to stick with it. But nice. I, I've made a lot of progress the past three years I've been working on it. <laughs> great. Great. Wait, quick, quick question. So are you physically making these dice? Or yes. Are you like... Like so I have, I have dice, okay, yeah. and then I have white stickers, uh-huh. and then I, um, I have like, and then I, you know, color them with crayons and put right. symbols on them. I'm trying to make a, a board game version of um, the Legend of Zelda, Ooh. kind of that experience yeah, where you're like nice. exploring this world, getting treasure, and getting the like, the equipment you need to overcome like. The next thing like right to, to get yeah, out of the dungeon good. or to beat the boss so it's an adventure game but it's just not fun like there's yeah. there's some there's some special magic the best board games have to like it's just fun it's just somehow right. it's yeah. fun and it's not it's not like a it's not something that can be easily replicated if you try to do it yourself so anyways i'm interested in that yeah um yeah, so I guess I'll cross that one off the list. Now All everyone right. knows we're just human beings. Good. <laughs> I'm actually a dog. <laughs> That's why it's a I'm podcast, not a video. I'm the most intelligent dog. <laughs> That's great. Um, so I met you after Mass one day. We go to a traditional Latin Mass in Dayton, Ohio. <clears throat> and uh, that was the first time I met you. And... Uh, uh, I remember uh, just wanting to get to know you more. Our wives had met beforehand. They said, oh, our husbands got to meet. Like, they're going to be really good friends. And um, then we did a, we are now in a small group together called yeah. Teams of Our Lady. And so we meet regularly. It's really awesome. And uh, an image that's always going to stick with me is seeing you at Mass with three kids, all like one and under, and two of them are strapped to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have like a double <laughs> baby carrier. And then your wife has the other one in, in a baby carrier. So uh, right now you're fostering three young kids. Yep. And uh, we have <laughs> we have nicknames right. for each and of the kids. going to try to stick to these okay, nicknames. Okay, so here. we have a list here just with their nicknames so we, we can be discreet. <laughs> so we got... So over the course of your experience fostering kids, you've had... J and Z, not to be confused with Jay-Z. Right, yeah. J and Z and Bill and Bob (laughs) 
and A. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> That's what we call them. And Bill and Bob is not to be confused with Billy Bob. Correct. So these are two separate individuals. Yeah, yeah right. It. Billy so, would be like Spanish or something. Right? So anyways, I, I don't know how much of this story I've already heard. I don't think I've heard too much of it, but can you walk me back to um, newlyweds? You have dreams for starting your family, and then what happens from there? Yeah, yeah, great. Um, so that's that's a big question. So we <laughs> we got married, right? Um, my first year of grad school, and then um, you know we hoping to have kids uh, for a few years. We actually um, were unable, right? And so that's something that we've had a hard time with, and we've done a lot of things with uh, you know uh, like NAPRO and different different methods trying to get pregnant. We haven't really been able to get, you know, just make it happen. And so that's something that's sort of been a difficulty, right? Mm -hmm. But then um, actually one year while we were uh, after grad school, we moved down to Belize. And while we were there, that's really where I guess Foster really started sort of being on my mind because there was a little baby down there who needed to be adopted. And so we were really considering it. Um, but then there was these, these weird laws with Belize where – because we're not Belizean, it was going to be very, very difficult, like a multi, multi-year battle, really, to adopt. And so, you know, the um, the, the woman who was looking for a, a home for that child ended up finding somebody else, right? But then that really, I guess, made me think seriously, like, would I, mm. would I take other kids into my house, or would I just be, you know, happy just with, you know, no kids and no kids there? And so, um, what you know, Belize. You went to Belize. You yes, lived so in Belize? we lived in Belize for a year after grad school. Yeah, okay. So we um, why? <laughs> good, I guess good question. I just found myself there. No. Uh, so <laughs> so um, so I got after I got my master's, uh, I knew somebody, a friend from from college, who was down there teaching at a mission, and there was a junior college that had just opened up, and they were looking for teachers, and it was the sort of thing where it was really a mission position, and so they would you know provide housing and you would eat food in the rectory um you know a small stipend the equivalent of i guess like uh i don't know like five bucks a week you know something something very small um and so it was more of just a chance to do a mission and i guess we were young it was adventurous <laughs> <laughs> but that was a really really formative time for us you know that's something where we're always sort of even thinking like where would we like spend the retire or move back to and that's always sort of a thought like would we move back to belize mm. yeah and maybe you know so it was with the um this mission down there in uh, Banque viejo del carmen which is now run by salt so this um society of our lady of the most holy trinity and yeah they're a great great group so priests and nuns there and they do just a lot of good down down in mm. belize and so we were down there and it was actually <laughs> i'm going back in time now it was actually the um so the the pastor's mom also lived there, and she was the one who ran the uh, like the women's center, right? To help okay, with, pastor's know. mom. I'm getting out a corkboard. Got, <laughs> right. got a pastor. Connect him to his mom. Yeah, but she and was. It's your pastor, right? Yeah, so the pastor of the parish there, and <laughs> and the and the sort of the women's like uh, pro life house was next door to where we were living, and so we had sort of a lot of uh, connection with that, and that's sort of why we were considered for that adoption. That's one thing that's sort of, I guess, an early seed, an early nugget in my mind. And, yeah, so then after we were down there for a while, you know, would have loved to stay longer, but I had student debt and stuff like that. So I came 
back up to Ohio. And then we were here, um, you know, not terribly long, maybe less than a year before we decided that we really want to get um, into doing something with foster care. Right. And so um, it still was a process, though. Mm-hmm. Can, do you mind yeah. if I ask uh, if we go back a bit to yeah. <laughs> um, uh, like how long was it after you were married that you started to realize something was up? And like, started to look into it. And how did how did you look into it? Did you you go like to a doctor and get a test? Or is that how that works? Yeah. So um, this is something which maybe to my chagrin, I've I've never had been tested myself, right? And that's something where I guess I'm just unsure of a lot of the, the sorts of tests with you know whatever like sperm counting things like that, which I counting sperm. Yeah. Right. With it must be a lot. An abacus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so there, it could definitely be, you know, uh, me, but also, you know, um, like Jen does have some things in her family as well, or like her, her mom has some difficulty. And so there's, um, some things there with, with you know, like a PCOS and, and things like that. And so there's, um, what we did is we, we saw, you know, some like NAPRO tech, which was just mostly a way of sort of helping to understand, you know, the, the human body, the cycles of the reproductive system and sort of what you could do to really sort of optimize your chances for that. Yeah. And so we, um, you know, for, um, you know, a little over a year, maybe two years, we were really into that and you're really trying. And then it just, I guess, never took, right? And so there's something where, you know, we do things with, like, even now, even today, like, we'll, like, you know, we have our diet to try to help with that and supplements and whatnot. And so we'll, you know, mm. still hoping. And, you know, I definitely have it on good authority, like, just this sense of being, um, I guess barren, right? There's a a good amount of families, historically saints, who started out that way. And so that's still sort of a hope we have, you know. Mm. It's, um, I've always wanted to make a list just of who who went through this because it seems, in a way, more often than not, like stories in the Bible. You think about like Abraham. You think about mm. um, you know uh, even stuff like Saint uh, Anne and Joachim. Like the tradition says, they were barren for a while. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, so there's even like Samson's mom, right? So there's... Ooh! <laughs> right? Like, who knows? <laughs> it must have been a good seed for Samson. That's right, good. exactly. So there's um, something there where... Like, we haven't given up, but yeah. we just thought, well, might as well move forward with this. And So was there like a moment house. it hit you, or is it more like just this kind of over time, it started to be more and more clear? You know, the, that's hard because there is a moment where we made the decision. Um, but I don't think my heart was changed in that moment. Right? I already sort of had the sense of, you know, uh, at, the, at first I thought, yeah, you know, I could, I could let another kid come in here. And then after a while it became more of like, we should let another, you know, child come in here. And so then it just sort of. Yeah, what's you know, that? Along. What was that? Like, how long was it between getting married, and then committing to let's be foster parents. Because there's yeah. some people listening mm-hmm. who are um, struggling with their infertility still. Maybe they've been married a few years. Mm-hmm. Some people I know have been married several years and still don't have children. And they're they're doing everything you're doing, like still praying and hoping. Um, but I'm interested to hear how long it was for you before you said, you know what, let's, let's welcome some other kids into our home. 
Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I have to do the, the math in my head. All right, oh, so. you're a mathematician, though. <laughs> right, so let's see. So we got married um, back in 2012, and then had another uh, couple years in grad school. So we, I think we were probably married um, actually close to a little over three years before we really decided um, we were going to do it. Um, could have done it sooner. Now I'm thinking about it, although, you know, there's a lot of things that you take into account, you know, so like the fact... Like in Belize, you have to be able to provide, and so we didn't really have a position hmm. there, you know. So it'd be, it'd be just sort of a weird, a weird place. So there's finances and all that, and so once we came to Dayton, though, so after coming out of Belize, um, and that was what year was that? Back in I guess 2015, um, the everything just sort of lined up, and so you know I think we could have even jumped jumped on it a little bit sooner. Hmm. Sort of that first year, um, we were in an apartment, and we definitely started thinking about it then, right? We weren't in it yet, but um, we moved to a, a one-bedroom apartment our first year. <laughs> then we started thinking about, okay, we'd like to do foster care. To do that, we're going to need um, some more space, right? And so then we, um, the next year, went and rented a house, and at that point, that's when we started uh, foster care. So knowing we were going to rent, um we began the process. And the process itself normally takes like six months or a year. And it took us on the long side. But six months is what they aim for. Because mm. to be a foster parent, you have to do all sorts of classes. Um, and you have to uh, do actually really intense home study, which is more or less an autobiography you write. And then they come make Whoa, sure really? safe. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> at least that's how I took it. That's awesome. <laughs> they probably got way more than they wanted. you know, a but memoir? They had, uh, right, eh? Could be. Yeah, I don't so, know the difference. But even things like, <laughs> you know, they'd ask questions like, what sort of trauma do you have from your childhood? Right? To try to really delve into you, like, are you somebody who's suitable for this? Right? Mm-hmm. And, like, I got really into it. Like, I wrote and wrote and wrote. Uh, probably more than they wanted, but <laughs> I know. I thought it was important for me, I guess. And it was yeah, also, like, a great, cool. great time to uh, just do that. So we actually spent, you know, several weekends just going to, like ghost light the coffee shop and oh yeah we just like both write write a little like reflections about our lives and this is things. 2015 about um yes yeah, so this would have been going into you should get a calendar out yeah uh, i know it's difficult without a calendar yeah like going into 20 2016 about, i guess in that time okay. yeah around that around that time and um if you ask my wife she could give you a year difference who knows right <laughs> <laughs> who knows how good my memory is um but then uh with that process you know, even things, and sometimes I kind of feel, I don't know, kind of embarrassed about this. So they'd ask things like, what was your childhood trauma like? And I'm like, well, you know, once when I was 10, we were moving houses and my dad was moving my dresser and I got in the way and he dropped an F-bomb, right? First time I've ever heard him say that. Trauma. So I went, <laughs> so I was just so shooken back and I just like took it like, like I had done something so terribly wrong. So I went and, and I climbed like the biggest tree on the property and I just like sat up in the branches up there and just like <laughs> waited out till somebody came and yeah. got me down. And so it's, like it's funny yeah. that word trauma because my <laughs> wife uses it for so many different things with our kids and it's funny because she's gonna be editing this so she she's hearing this right now in the future. Um, right now, no, it's right now. She's right live. Now. Right Amber, now. what's up? <laughs> go go give your husband a hug and a sandwich or something. He's a great guy. 
He he is a great guy. I mean, yeah, think he about is. it. Think about it. <laughs> if you think real hard, you'll know. <laughs> um, so, like the other day, she was. Um, I I forgot what she was doing because it's so like forgettable in the sense of like as a mundane thing. She was like lifting something. No, Peter, our son, was like running around and like whipping his arms around, like like whips, and he knocks something over. And then she gave him a scowl, like a, a scowl, like with her face. Mm-hmm. Nothing physical. Didn't say anything. <laughs> and she was talking to me later. She's like, I just don't want to traumatize our kids. <laughs> and she, it's funny because she knows that when I uh, hear that word, I just give her a look like, you're not. We, let's look up the word trauma and right. like w- yeah. what it actually means. So I guess they probably do that to like. There's some people who just like this can come up with like something really heavy yeah. that happened to them. Yeah. Like, some heinous ooh, that's some that's some baggage they're going to carry into foster right, care. Right, exactly. And so, like my little stint where I heard my dad say about where that's that's, that's nothing right there. Mm-hmm. They're not really interested in that. Um, right, and that's something that I now realize, and I kind of realized it then, but I think I just wanted to write hmm. write about that. And it's sort of thing where. Like when I actually do, and this is a, something I've tried thinking if I actually had to write that knowing I'd be the only person to read it, would I have really picked that trauma, right? Oh, I don't interesting. Know. Yeah. Maybe you take a much deeper dive. Yeah. Cause sometimes it's. Yeah. So now, like so that, now that you know that no one's going to hear this, what would you say? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard. That's hard. You know, it's, it's something where I think what happens is that you just go back to around that time and. At the very least, all the traumas I think about, it was normally something like something small, mm. but it normally involved some something like either I was once lost at an amusement park, right? That's a type of trauma, mm. right? Because it sort of sticks with you and it's sort of thing you might remember later on. Things I think yeah. about are like things my dad said to me. Mm. Like there's something so powerful about what a dad says to his yeah. son. And my dad passed away a couple years ago. Um, and there's even some things that um, now as an adult, when I think back, I'm like, wow, that really cut deep. And it wasn't like he, you know, I know there's um, unfortunately situations like verbal abuse. He was never like that. Just the, mm-hmm. the kindest, most nonchalant, lovable dad ever. But just like, Slips of the tongue, you know, right. um, like I'm at a baseball game and um, <laughs> like a, a pitch hits me in the side and he said something like, um, it's good you have all that like Nintendo flab or something. Uh. And it just like, he he said it to like make light of the situation and <laughs> even sharing it now. As a 31-year-old, I still feel like, oh, my gosh, my dad said that about me. Mm-hmm. And uh, dads just have so much power over their kids. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's real. Yeah, and I know, like, my dad is also, like, the kindest, most outgoing man maybe you'll ever meet, unless maybe you have a dad just like that as well, <laughs> you know. I'm sort of guy who everyone in the... In the uh, movie theater, knows knows who knows who he is. Excuse me, because he's singing "Happy Birthday" to somebody, right? Whatever it is, and so he's kind of like that. And that's kind of, I guess, an interesting thing. And maybe this is not to make light of like what happens, but I think I'm, I guess, I'm blessed that 
my traumas are just things like mm. that, you right. know, but it's definitely still a real thing. So maybe you, you wouldn't know? define them as traumas. Like right. I would not define what my dad said as a trauma. Right. Just like yeah. something that affected me mm-hmm. and that like imprinted itself into me, but not something right. that I wouldn't say it like wounded me or like, right. Like trauma is about a like a deep wound. Like, I, I don't know. How would you define trauma? It's like yeah. <laughs> physical trauma is like, you can see the effects of it, you know, you get hit and there's this massive bruise and you can't use that arm anymore or whatever it is. And yeah. emotional trauma is the same thing, just what you can't see. So. Yeah, and I think what, um, you know, there's a there's a scale and there's a lot of variety there. And in some, like, small way, I don't know if a capitalization is appropriate, but like a small T trauma, like it could be, like, a way because it sticks with you. But, like, the trauma that's normally meant is stuff that would really make you, make you limp emotionally, right? So Yeah, um, that's a good way to put it. Where you... You behave differently as an adult because of something, and that's, I guess, more what we tend to mean when we talk about trauma. Although you know, both are both are real. One is more, I guess, significant. Yeah. So you wrote this autobiography. You have a picture on the back with you, like smoking a pipe, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, it's my life. What's the title? It's like man among boys or right yeah i don't know what the title is yeah what would i call my autobiography here amber will cut out all this dead noise i want you Uh to think of a really good title i feel like it has to have a pun with nathan and nation wealth of the nathan of the nathan (laughs) (laughs) why not wealth of the nathan (laughs) sure (laughs) that's what we'll go with (laughs) so terrible no no bueno (laughs) Well, what's another pun with nation? Um, there's got to be one there. Um, it's all right. Amber just, Amber just spent hours editing. Yeah, just think about this. United Nathans. The, uh... Oh, yeah. Okay, it's United Nathans. And you have a picture of you at like every year of your life. But you're always smiling. Yeah, and I'm a, sort of a whole person. Yeah, so it's like integrity. It's it's your face made up of pictures of small smaller pictures of you that make yeah. up a bigger picture of you with your face. Yeah, like a like a fractal or something. Y- yeah, that's exactly <laughs> the word I was gonna say. Jinx. <laughs> United Nathan's. Perfect. So you wrote United Nathan's your autobiography. Correct. And you said that the um, like when you say I want to be a foster parent they like to to like um i guess you would say you know uh push you along so that it's only a six-month process Mm -hmm. and uh so if if amber and i today wanted to become foster parents would in six months we could be is that how it works absolutely um the biggest thing that sort of made ours go slow i think is um we got our courses done, so you have to do 40 hours of, of learning beforehand, which are all actually really great. Like, yeah, that's, that's funny. Hours, yeah. Okay, 40 hours. I'm trying to figure out what they're teaching you. Like, it's like if you're getting lessons on being a parent. Yeah, so you have some <laughs> options. So this is great. So there's, they have a, a, a catalog that comes out, right, every season, and you can get a choose. So some of them uh, that we've done were things like, you know, um, sometimes just dealing with trauma, right? We've done some courses about uh, mostly understanding the effects of drugs on people and mm. children, um, and that's for dealing with kids, but also dealing, you know, with uh, birth parents. Um, we've done some about uh, 
sort of like hair care for ethnic uh, children. Oh, right? wow. Yeah, which yeah, is like really helpful. Wouldn't even think of that. Really helpful. Um, and then there's, you know, a bunch of other things. So like we just went, did one, which was more or less a support group, but it counted as training, right? Now that we're foster parents and just sort of meet and meet and talk. And um, I don't know, there's a lot of, a lot of good things we've learned. And I think we found that there's certain people who really enjoyed their classes um, and liked what they said. And so we, you can kind of pick which ones you do, right? So there's, that's, that's a big, uh, I guess, time thing because, you know, 40 hours, you're mm. like, oh, that's like a week of work. But 40 hours when you only get like three hour chunks and you have to sign up like on a Thursday night, you know? Right. So that it can take some time. You can, you can knock it out, but. Um, that's dedication though. Yeah. That's great. Something to do. And that's, what's cool is that's actually ongoing. And so every two years we have to do that again, that amount of time. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So we keep learning more and more. Yeah, which, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. More hairstyles. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, those are the ones that you need to retake though. Because like, how do I do this again? Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. And then, yeah, the other thing was, was the home study. That's what they call it. And that has to do with that sort of autobiography. Um, also stuff about actually coming into your home, making sure, you know, it's they like, safe. Do they watch you like kind of, I don't know, do they come and see how you do dinner and stuff like Not that? Not that much. So here's here's a weird thing for everyone to know. Um, they in some way have these really high standards. So things like we have to have a smoke detector in every bedroom and in every main floor and things like that um which is great you have to have a posted escape plan right so even though like our house every room has a window right and our escape plan is literally like go out the door or go out the window (laughs) we have to have it posted run away from fire yeah exactly and so there's things like that but then on the flip side like as long as we have running water and there's nothing that looks seems dangerous like yeah, you're fine, you know. So there's nice. it's sort of like a little bit of a little bit of both mm. worlds. And so once that happens, there's on their end at the county level is what we do it through through Montgomery County. They have paperwork they have to do and things like that. Um, oh, and this third piece, which was a fascinating thing uh, to reflect for yourself as well, is we had a list. Um, it was a few pages long, double sided, of conditions and ailments and attitudes and um, behaviors and you'd have to go through and say would you take a kid who exhibits such and such right so some of them we were able to say yes or no pretty fast so even things like if they um you know maybe if they're an amputee would you take them like yeah sure absolutely and then you know there's a ton of uh like medical terms that we had to look them all up so that took a long time just to sort of see um but then some of the harder things to consider was like if a child has a terminal illness, like would you take them into your home? And those are ones that we have to sort of sleep on. And so that that took us a while because we'd be like, let's just do two tonight, right? And, and decide on these, and then sort of do it little by little. What were um, some of those harder ones? Um, so I think for us, the harder ones were, um, you know, things with uh, those terminal illnesses. Those are big. Um, some of the medical considerations were, you know, for instance, if they, um, you know, need uh, constant, like, machines and oxygen always, oh, wow. and you have to, like, you know, more or less, like, change their diapers forever, you know. Or, like, like, heavily that, you know? disabled, maybe. Yeah, like, exactly, because uh, there's a whole range there. And, confined to a yeah. chair or something. Some kids in it even have things like they always have to have their breathing machine with them, right, and, you know, all sorts of 
questions like that. Yeah. So there was that one aspect, which was it's more hard because like, it's, it be it's not like there's a clear yes or no answer. Because even though you're trying to open your heart, you're already doing so much good by saying, let's open our home to these children. But it doesn't mean no matter what, like we're just mm-hmm. taking in just yeah. anyone. Because you also got to, you know, um, yeah, know your put limits. your spouse for yeah. first. Yeah, know your limits. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, both those. Those are huge where, like, sort of mentioned, yeah, your spouse, absolutely, that's that's huge. But then what they don't want to have happen, and the reason they uh, the county has you do this is that it's not uncommon for foster parents to come and say, like, oh, yeah, anything, bring it on. I, I've got the spirit, let's go. And then after, whatever, six months of a really difficult placement, saying, I just can't handle this anymore. Mm-hmm. You need to move them, right? And so they're really hoping not to move kids. And so they just ask if you don't think you could do it or if it would be like near your limit, just say you wouldn't take them, right? Yeah. That, and that would be um, better for them because then... They're not in a home where they're unwanted. Exactly. And they can find hopefully something that would be a little bit more like permanency. Yeah. You know? So that's big. Um, yeah. There are other types of questions too that we thought about for a while. So things like, um, you know, like being Catholic, if I had a like... Muslim 16-year-old, I would have to also take them to the mosque as well, which is something that's kind of interesting, you know, and so, um, mm. and like for us, I think we decided like, of course, like we would, we would, but then that's also like, that's another place to go on the weekends, you know, and things like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and for us, like uh, right now, we were also, um, there's this good rule of thumb, I don't even know who I heard it, but somebody once said um, that you really shouldn't try to foster or adopt kids who are older than your marriage, and that's something that we've kind of kept to because you can also decide, like, what age limit would you take up to, right? And so um, as... Does it go up to 18? Yeah, you can wow. foster uh, teenagers as well. Wow. And that's actually a huge, huge need. So there's really? some people who are really um, sort of heroic who maybe have had kids of their own or who are, you know, up in that older age range where they can say, like, yeah, I can sort of have that natural um, authority over a teenager, right? you know? And so... Like, for Jen and I, like, I'm a teacher, so I could, as, like, teacher, have that authority, but it would help if we were married 14 years yeah. and have a 14-year-old. That's just something that, that we kind of stick That's to. That's great. Yeah, so a lot of those those sorts of questions about practicing of other religions, um, we didn't really spend too much time thinking about it because we thought it's not really applicable um, for, you know, kids who are, say, under 7. Um, and then, you know, the... I guess the, the last kind that was uh, stuff like race and whatnot, and we said, like, whatever. You know? Yeah. Um, and that's something which is a weird kind of whatever um, in the sense of it does make a difference for for them and sort of mm. um, sort of like social interactions, you know, if they're of a different race. Mm. And so um, what we sort of say as a rule of thumb, though, um, is – when we get a placement call, so they'll literally just call you up, you know, often it could be during the day, it could be after hours. A lot of ours have been, you know, five or six. And so that's right after um, the county closes and they say, all right, we have this child. Um, do you want them? And we'll ask some questions. And what's kind of funny, even though we did that whole list, they often don't really know any of the answers. They're like, I don't know. We just, we just have, they're sitting here, you know, is there space? Do you want them? And so um, mm-hmm. when that happens, We'll ask some questions, you know, but things like 
race. We don't really ask that. We know, and we're going to be very intentional about, you know, uh, make sure they're supported and all that jazz down the line. But we don't want that to affect if we take them into our home, you know. And so it's one of those things where we just recognize, okay, on the back end, we'll deal with whatever, you know. Um, and that's something that's sort of been, uh, for us, been a really great, you know, experience. And uh, we've always had, I guess, like good relations. I guess that's the biggest worry. So here's what they tell you. The biggest worry if you're um, uh, fostering someone of a different race, whatever it is, is there's often animosity amongst the parents, right? So like foster parents and birth parents. Um, mm-hmm. Often birth parents don't like that. And that's true sort of whichever way, way it goes. And so it could be, you know, if you have, like, black parents fostering white children, there's often animosity, or mm-hmm. white parents fostering black children, animosity, or, um, you know, white parents fostering Mexican children, or vice versa. And so there's things there. And that's a sort of going back to this, the whole big question about, like, race in America and how we deal with all that. Um, that's something that we are very, I guess, intentional about uh, and recognizing that it is something to pay attention to, right? It's not mm. something to ignore, but it's also not going to change our decisions about right. this child right here. So the, how, how does it normally work when they call you and say, we have a child here? Like, how, how soon are they delivering that child? Yeah, right. So it's the well, same day, right? Wow. Um, it depends now if it's in the daytime or in the evening, so like the after-hour call. So if um, a child comes into care, is what they call it, in, say, the morning... They will call, you know, a bunch of people, and they'll often they'll call. If nobody answers, they'll go on to the next person, right? Um, if they call, and this happened to us a couple of times, they'll call and say, oh, we're actually out of town, but we're coming back in the morning. Like, no, sorry, we're going to move on. And that's always a weird thing for us because we think if we were in town that day, we would have different children, you know? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah. Which is, and that's... <laughs> It's not superstition, but we have this thing where anytime we go out of town together, it seems we get a, a placement call, right? And so it's almost to the point where we're like, should we go out of town together? I don't know. We might get a placement call for you know kids who wow. might be immediately up for adoption or whatever. So that's always sort of like, I don't know, sort of knock on wood, fingers crossed sort of thing for us. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they'll call and they'll say, you know, we have Billy here. I'm, I'm using that because my... Uh, Foster worker always uses that example. So little Billy, uh, <laughs> they're, uh, we have them here. Um, you know, they need a place. And normally the conversation goes, do we know anything about them? And they'll say, well, we know this about the parents. And so often maybe it's something like, um, you know, mom isn't in a good spot right now. Or maybe uh, he was with dad, but there is, maybe he's in jail for the night. And even something like if, like, Single parent household, parent goes to jail for one night, kids go to foster care. You know, wow, so really? Like it's that's how yeah. That works. So at least that's how it has happened. Um, wow. I'm not sure if it's 100, percent but um, that is something to be sort of certainly is a animosity there. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. it seems obvious that the, then the dad comes home the, the next day and his kids in foster care. Yeah, just like that, and then he has to work with the courts to get his child back. Right. Get yeah. his life together. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's something where, um, I guess that's a bit of a tangent, but we can even go that way and just say, like, yeah, that's what happens, and hopefully, in sort of in the best situation, 
it does do good for the birth parents as well. And so I guess the mm. the goal they say, right? So um, I guess back up the kid comes into foster care, they're placed that day, right? So often within a few hours, and then um, you sort of figure out the details later on. Um, sometimes they get out of foster care pretty quick. Um, sometimes for whatever little reason, they stay in. And it's... Could be because of the birth parents not getting their act together. Yeah. I mean, it could be things like, oh, grandparents, if the grandparents show up in the next six hours, they can take them. If they show up tomorrow, legally, we have to file for custody. And so it's all sorts of legal jargon, whatever you get into. But the, uh, I guess the takeaway is um, the goal of the county officially is to reunify. And so hopefully, like, child comes into foster care. Um, and it's a good kick in the butt for birth dad or whoever the kid was with uh, to say, you need to get your act together. Um, and they give them a lot of help, too. That's also really mm-hmm. great. So suddenly, like, if you were put into, say, you went to jail for the night um, and you were living in a homeless shelter, if your child's in foster care now, they're not going to reunite you until you're able to sort of find stable housing, get a stable job. And they have all sorts of resources to help with that. And so... That's sort of on the county's end is where a lot of the work is going on, is helping the birth parents try to get their lives together, get their acts together uh, to reunite. And you know, that could really go both ways. Sometimes it goes really well. You know, sometimes like they really turn over a new, new leaf. They get their lives together. They get stable housing, and it was just what they needed. Um, often they don't, and so it sort of depends upon the person. Um that's, I guess, now that I've mentioned sort of the, the county goal, reunification with birth families, you can probably see that's, that's something where I'm still dealing with, like, the, the sense of, well, I, I want them to stay here, right? Yeah. right? And then at the same time recognizing, well, if it's best for them, I want them to go back. It's interesting because yeah. it's a great rule. Like, it, it makes sense kind of like 20,000-foot view. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, every child should be with their parents. Yeah. In all things being equal, right? Um, But then when you're in the thick of it, when you have Billy or Bob. Yeah, (laughs) Billy, Bob. (laughs) Or (laughs) Jay-Z. J-N-Z. And then some of these kids have perhaps not so good, you know, homes that they go back to. Yeah. Then... In particulars, it becomes like not, well, it's still a good rule. You know, mm-hmm. it's still a good rule yeah. that exists, but you can see it, its flaws, I guess. Right, yeah. Yes. And I guess to echo that, like on the one hand, I really don't want like parental parental rights, The I guess in America we'd say the rights to raise your own children. I don't want that to be taken lightly at all because that's huge, right? So, you know, like like you came with your kids. Like I don't want, you know, you hear horror stories in places like Germany, like, oh, you homeschool your kids? They're out, you know, they're in foster care. Um, and so I don't want that sort of thing to happen. So I'm, I'm really glad that we take it seriously. Yeah. But then, exactly right, just when you get into it, like, what is the standard? And it gets weird because um, when a child is reunited, it's not that birth parents have to make a healthy, thriving household, but it's just sort of a... Needs are met. Yeah. They'll, they will survive. Survive. There. Interesting. Um, without. Because the rest is kind of yeah. subjective, I guess. Yeah. And hard to, you know, 
It's very important, legislators. but yeah. it's subjective. Right. It seems like. Well, they'll they have a bed to sleep in. They'll have food. Uh, they're bringing in an income, roof over the head. Sounds good, but there's so much else a child needs. Right, yeah. And that's one of those weird things, too, which I'm still unsure, and it's probably a prudence thing that comes down to the particulars, uh, but I'm, sure, I'm unsure how much it weighs. So the sense of being with your progenitor, right, um, the one who has given birth to you, who, whose blood you share, that that's a huge bond. And then, on the other hand, if they're not doing the best, like, practically in, like, where is the trade-off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seems, I guess, on the one hand, they seem like very different, like, orders of magnitude or they're different types of things altogether, right? The sense of, like, who's better at teaching me my letters, you know? Who's better at, um, I guess, those menial things, right? Versus who's my, like, birth mom biologically. That, that's huge. But then um, where there's that in-between, it's more of those... Um, understandings like biologically, spiritually, mentally, do I know that I'm I'm loved? Do I experience that in my daily life, mm-hmm. right? As am I the priority here? And that's something which is a lot, um, I guess, harder to gauge, but probably in, in a lot of ways, like the goal, right? The more important thing in, in some way, at least the, the bigger, deeper thing. And that's something which, kind of like you say, it's as... Uh, legally, I, I don't think they can, and I probably I don't really think they should, right? As uh, the county, as a, a lawmakers and whatnot, try to say, oh, you have to be like extra loving in a certain way, right? And I think that's yeah, that's hard. But I guess for us, there's um, when uh, a kid comes up for um, reunification, there's you know, all sorts of I guess questions and. That's hard, and like for Jen and I, it's hard in one sense that you do you have a real bond with them, right? And that's something that we've said going into this. Like, we're not going to protect our hearts necessarily. I don't want to protect my heart from this kid and say, like, okay, you can live in my house, wow. but you're you might go back, so I'm going to stay away. So we just sort of recognize, okay, you're here, sort of all in, all in, knowing that it's going to suck later on, right? If they're reunited, and so with that sort of element. When, uh, say, for instance, when Jay uh, came up for his court hearing to be uh, reunited, we had this real, real battle of, okay, well, on the one hand, like, we are totally invested in him. Absolutely. Uh, but then, I guess, on the other hand, um, we know he's probably going back and trying to say, like, what's best and trying to sort of remove myself from the equation of, is it just because I'm so attached to him, or is it because of them? Is it because of is it because of Jay that I want him to stay with us? And you know, there's a little bit of both. I, I don't think I'm, uh, and I think it's good, you know, that there's a little bit of both. If I was able to completely remove myself from that equation, that'd be crazy. That'd be unhuman, right? That'd be that'd be weird. And so, um, going into it, we just kind of knew like we want him to stay with us, but we knew he'd probably go back. And when that happens. Is terrible, right? That that's just sort of, I guess, a truth bomb that you should know, right? If you get into foster care, that often things will hurt a lot, and it's just no good. Like Jen and I, we have this debate. We're trying to settle: like, is reunification or death harder? Right? And that's, wow. I'm not sure. Yeah, and so 
like in some ways, yeah, absolutely glad they're alive. You know, that would be that would be terrible. I don't, I don't, I don't wish death at all. But well, perhaps yeah. there's this might be a stupid analogy, but yeah. with um, I've heard it said that like divorce is worse than death mm. because it's like an ongoing death. It's like a yeah. death that's always there, and it's somewhat like you know, Jay is taken away, and it's not that. He's not here. It's just he's somewhere else, and mm-hmm. he's not with you right. continually, day after yeah. day. Um, yeah. Might be a stupid analogy. No, I think that's. I think that is good. And there's, I guess, differences with that sense of closure is great, you know, for right. like moving on, right? But you don't quite get closure with these. Yeah. yeah. When you said <laughs> like you just want to go all in, even though it's going to hurt, mm-hmm. I was thinking of like how I would try to approach it. And you can all, you know, it's easy to be like a, you know, a, um, like a backseat driver or a sideline coach or whatever you want to call it. But I can also see how it would be really nearly impossible to find a balance. Mm-hmm. And you, I think the way you put it is best. Like you want to, you don't want to err on the side of like, I'm not going to give you my heart or my attention or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you're, even though it's going to hurt, you're going to, that's really, really noble. I was, I was trying to think of like, well, what about like when I stay at my, you know, un- aunt and uncle's house, like I stayed there for a week and they're like taking care of me, but they're not like, putting themselves they're not i mean they might discipline me but there's something there's an extra thing there that it seems like it happens with foster parenting where you're not just like a an adult supervising like you're a dad to them yeah yeah that's huge what's what's the difference oh my gosh uh i have thoughts about this so (laughs) uh where to start there's for us, let's just start from, from my perspective, I guess, what I know. So, so far, most of our placements have been young kids. So, um, say about three, um, three to four, sort of the oldest. And a lot of them have been straight from the hospital even. So, that's something which, um, in a lot of ways, is, I guess... Like the newborn. Easy, yeah, newborn, yeah. Um, the, sort of the easier side of foster care as opposed to taking, like, teenagers, which were, you know, as I said, working up to that, right? Um, and so some of the things in there that I know I'm responsible for is things like if this child doesn't know they're loved, their brains will develop differently, right? They, um, like, the the way you make a psychopath is in the first six months of life. Like, it's something where, like, that's where they establish a lot of a lot of their ability to empathize and their ability to, to know and sort of feel with other people. And so that's something that I recognize, okay, there's some practical things. Like, I have to bond. For practical reasons, which kind of seems weird, but that's that's the <laughs> oh, fact yeah. of it, you know. Oh my gosh, um, yeah, it didn't make sense, right? <laughs> but then there's you know a whole other things, uh, world of things like where they start talking and they, um, you know, they call Jen and me like Dada and Mama first before they would call their birth parents Mom or whatnot. Wow. We actually have to sort of teach them, and that's even a hard topic too because we say for Jen, for instance, we want them to associate the word Mama with like a loving, a loving matron, right? And so you better be mama, right? Like, we're not going to save that word for the birth mom, right? It's, it'd be better for them to call all women mama, right? Mm, and, right? And so to sort of 
go that way. But then at the same time, and this is a weird, weird thought, it's sort of like, I guess, like crapshooting where you think, which way am I going to bet on this? If they're with me forever, I don't want to have wasted those first two years of bonding, right? And so you're just like, well, just go all in. You know, and it's... Yeah, because I guess the bet, the bet analogy, what you lose by, you know, giving all your heart and then they're taken away and you're heartbroken is you, you lose a bit of your heart or however you want to put it. Like, it hurts. And, uh, but what you lose on the other side, like, let's say you withhold and you're cold and a little bit distant. You're just mm-hmm. kind of an authority figure. And then they're with you your whole life. Like you just, how many memories right. or like moments did you miss out on yeah. with your son, you know, in those early years? And how, I didn't even think of how important it is for developmentally, like those first months of life. Yeah. That's huge. Right. And that's something that, you know, we think about a lot, especially with the younger kids. And I, don't know, I guess a couple other things like along that same uh, line of, uh, which way do you do you go with it? It's interesting just because, for instance, one of our kids, Z, who was reunited, and in that case, what's weird is because we saw his dad like love this kid a lot, um, he definitely had some things to work through, but stuff like he was late once because the times changed, like the clocks changed, and we saw him like sprinting from the bus stop to try to get to this visit and things like that, which just like shows like he was really, <laughs> really, like, awesome. really loved his son. So that's something which we saw that along the way and like we still you know connected with uh z and um but what's i guess weird about that one is from the get-go we kind of saw okay his dad's really really serious about this right and that's something that's um in some ways uh sort of the other side whereas when jay was reunited which is like i don't know really really hard when z look at my sheet was reunited (laughs) there's um a sense of okay, you know, it's still hard, but it's I guess it's fitting, right? Um, and there's also the difference too that um, he was a bit older, and so he knew uh, his dad, and he talked about him all the time, and, and really wanted that, you know. And so that's another thing that's kind of weird with the younger kids, where they don't understand that, and you can't really explain it, you know, what's happening. Because so you've had experiences where a young kid was taken away from you, and yeah. So when Jay was reunited, he came to us. As a newborn, he was, was with us for the first, like, year and a half. Yeah. And then he, uh, yeah, was reunited with his with his mom, who is um, sort of a mama bear. Actually, I like that about her. She's very, <laughs> that's the Jen called her. She's, you can tell she's uh, motherly, which is great, you know. So there are some, some benefits there, because they actually uh, reached out to us, like, a year after he was reunited. And we've seen him a couple times now, which, you know, it's it's hard, but... Strange, and, but good, I think. You know, There's also this... Uh, tell me when, if I need to stop, because I'm just going to keep going. So there's this sense, I guess, with, with foster care, um, where it sounds like it's, it's, it's bad in a lot of ways, but it's great in so many other ways, and it's really fulfilling. Um, but here's a couple thoughts that I, I have, which are sort of literature-esque. Um, there's a line, I think it's from C.S. Lewis's uh, Surprise by Joy, and I was thinking about this the other day um, because it was really windy. And he had a friend at one point who said, on a windy day, you have to seek out the windiest spot. 
and just soak it in and just like experience it right and so like i was going out seeking the windiest spot and i thought okay let's do this right but there's something about that that i think also influences me getting into foster care where i recognize like i could be living a really sort of easy life you know what do you call them like we could be dinks dual incomes no kids and we could be <laughs> what a dink i've never heard that <laughs> yeah. dual income no kids that's great right we could be doing that we could be you know traveling to europe on the weekends if you we would wanted be a to. great dink though. yeah right i think like, it would be great <laughs> yeah you'd fit into it nicely <laughs> thank you i guess i don't know uh, but <laughs> but we recognize i guess there's there's a mess out there somewhere that in a weird way, like I, I want to be a part of and like do what I can there, mm. right? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying also not to just be sort of like a savior who swoops in and saves it, but just like no, there's, there's a but mess. There's I like, need to be a part of it. I guess, you know, there might be some dinks out there who I like that term. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's dinks of all calibers, right? Correct. And there's people who are doing like maybe they're dinks, but they're like. Because they don't have kids, they're like missionaries, and they're doing That's crazy true. things. That yeah, like, they're, I know they some amazing dinks. Okay, okay, dinks can be great, but there's also some dinks that are a little dinky. You know what I mean? <laughs> and they're just living their life, kind of like, just like making money, <laughs> yeah. buying cars, like just traveling. Right. And it, I think, what you're saying is like the mess that's out there is also like this adventure of just like I don't want to get to the my, end of my life and just be like. I dinked my way through it. Like, right. I'm just whatever. Um, I, I took the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's sort of thing where I... I don't know if I would actually do this, but I get the sense. It's kind of like if you see a bar fight, you want to jump into it. You know? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I want to hide my family. <laughs> right, or hide your family, I guess. Yeah, that's... that's I have glasses. I right. <laughs> see, I don't, I don't actually want to jump into a bar fight, but I guess there's a sense of... Yeah, I guess kind of like you're saying, like... Uh, a mud wrestle you know. session... Yeah, I might want to jump into that. Yeah, or uh, maybe a, a more apt what's analogy. a better analogy? Yeah, than a both more, more apt analogy. No, here's a good one. Here's a good one. I just I just thought of this. Um, if you tell a country that all there is to live is comfort, right? Like, hey, okay. you can get AC, you can get a car. That's what you're going for. Like, they'll get along with, they'll make all sorts of problems. You know, that's kind mm. of I think like a lot of the issues we have right now. Um, but if they're just us, seeking you know, comfort, right? Yeah, right. If that's if that's all it is. But if you tell um, a country like there's there's something to be fought for, yeah. like there is there is some like real issues at hand, right? There's, um, for instance, you might say something like our um, entire country is going to be overthrown, or there's something um, that's in a way worth going to fight over, like even maybe maybe worth going to war over, right? If there's something like so heinous. Like, you'll get a lot of people who say, I can get behind a cause, right? Wow. And it's really hard. So if the cause is something where you want to be, um, stop oppression, save your country, save the lives of your family, like, that's a great cause to get behind. Um, if the cause is, you want to be really comfortable, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to get people to, like, really invest in that. And I think that's, I guess, one reason why, uh, as sort of a maybe more fundamental, like, human aspect of I want to I want to get behind a cause and so like my right now my cause is like these kids right in foster care yeah talk more about why that's an important cause for you because it seems really hard um it's hard to see you know 
I mean, maybe maybe you can talk about the benefits to foster care as well, because we've talked a lot about the struggles and the process um, and all that. But like, why is it such an important cause for you? Like, with with all the heartbreak that's in it, um, and difficulties and uncertainty. Like, why do you do it? All right, I'm going to preface this with two thoughts, okay. uh, and then I'll jump into that. So, one of my thoughts is um, with. Uh, what Cardinal Newman is this his illative sense where sometimes like you know something mm-hmm. but it's hard to give like the one reason for it yeah. and that's okay because you sort of have a lot yeah. of converging probabilities or sure. how they say it right so there's there's gonna be a little bit of that okay um and so that's uh going to be I guess key here and the other side of things is um I'm also not entirely sure I act from principle or act in particulars and I guess I guess <laughs> okay. this is what I mean so great <laughs> um like now that I'm in it, right? Now that I'm definitely in it, it's easier to say for me, like why, um, for instance, we are getting recertified. You know, we're going to stay in it. Like why? And on the first level, you just sort of look at it and say, well, yeah, it's because it it's because this guy right here, right? It's because of what Bill or or Bob or A, right? So there's a sense of that. That is the reason, you know. Um, and that's I think a, a good reason to. to work you know it's i heard once what a quote about um it was a town i think in like world war ii that were saving like jewish children and they're like why'd you do it and they're like for the kids you know and so mm. there's there's a real sort of like direct thing like yeah that's something that that needs done um, yeah I get maybe another way to underline what you just said and i'd love to hear all these other converging reasons but is foster care is like an ambiguous thing but you look at your kids right now. So for the audience, Bill, Bob, and A, those are the, your kids right now, mm-hmm. your young kids. When you look at them right now, it's, it's not ambiguous. Right. You're looking at a little child that you're caring yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. And so that's something that's, I guess, a huge consideration where it's it's not, maybe it's a general principle, but I don't think that's really what fuels like my motivation. Right. Um, I think Chesterton said something like, you know, nobody goes to war to die for their country. They go to die um, to protect, like, their mom or their next-door neighbor, right? So there's a sense of, like, a particular um, thing that motivates action. And that's something that I, I have here. Um, I think when we got into it, though, there was um, some things where, like, I have history. Like, my grandparents were foster parents. Jen's parents were as well. And so there's um, a sense of, like, we've seen it and we've seen some good come from it. Um and it's it's a need that you know it's it's great when people feel any i guess you when you see people who are foster parents at least when i did you think wow like good job like what, what you're doing right and so there's something i guess laudable excellent and so, yeah. yeah and so that's something that i guess attracted us to it mm-hmm. um was kind of weird and this is something where um it's easier for us uh, just because we uh, are I like to call us like the Baron and the Baroness, right? Uh, we have this sense of uh, we don't have kids of our own, right? So it makes it um, easy to open up to our house uh, to other kids because we know we want kids, um, and you know we're actually uh, foster to adopt. And so, like with the foster care system, if a child comes to uh, for adoption, we'll sort of have, I guess, first dibs is the legal term. Uh, so <laughs> first dibs. First dibs. That's what I call it. I don't know. <laughs> legal term. But the uh, um, so that's something Dibious else is yeah. 
premium. Right. And so that's, I guess I just put this out there that I know there are some people who have their own biological children um, and then they also get their own foster children um, and then their own adopted children. And so that's something which um, has a bit of a different timbre uh, just because you have other things to consider as well before you open up your house. But then I think it's important. I'm talking like a thousand miles an hour. It's important once you get there, uh, once they come to say like, yeah, these are our kids. So you've you've had five foster kids, correct? Correct. Yes. Jay Z, Bill, Bob A. Mm-hmm. Um, and you sounds like you're close to crossing the finish line with one of them. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I'm trying to think what's the best thing to say without. Uh, sure. Yeah. So for yeah, one of them actually in two days we have uh, a court hearing, um, which will be. Um, to determine permanency. And so I guess with a little background on what that is, so whenever a kid comes into foster care, um, and this is through the county is what we do it through, they have to file for temporary custody, um, which can go from one to two years. Um, but that after two years, they say we need to have this child somewhere permanent. right? And if they can't um, be reunited with their birth parents, the county will file for permanent custody, hmm. which is what's happening on Wednesday. And so if that goes through, and it seems like it's likely to, then we will um, begin the process of adoption, which normally takes about six months just to, um, you know, there's a, a little bit of a waiting period for appeals and then paperwork and court dates to settle. So it normally takes about six months. But, yeah, after that, we're really excited that as everything goes well on Wednesday, chances are really good. We'll adopt them in probably the summer. That's really exciting. Yeah. Now, here, here's a really um, silly thing I thought. I, di- I didn't, like, five, no, ten years ago, maybe five years ago, I didn't really see much of a difference between foster care and adoption because mm-hmm. they're kind of thrown together. It's like, oh, foster yeah. care and adoption is raising kids that aren't your own. Like, that's, I just, uh, I never, yeah. like, distinguish them too much. But there's a, there's a lot of differences. Like, the differences I see with foster care is, how like, um, uh, how transient it is, or how, how like different one year can be from the next, and then they actually pay you to be a foster parent. I don't think a lot of people know that they yeah, you get a, a, stipend, a stipend, yeah, to yeah, help which, cover, which expenses. is nice, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, with, with adoption, uh, you actually have to pay a lot to adopt, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, <laughs> that's a whole messy messy system there too um yeah so with with adoption what's actually kind of interesting is that if you do private adoption it's a lot more so sometimes that goes 20 30 40 50 thousand dollars um to cover all sorts of things from like legal expenses often if it's through a private agency the agency will also help cover things like um the medical expenses that the mom has and things like that so a lot of that cost goes into sort of a world of other things there as well. Um, what's a little bit different, um, and I guess a little bit cheaper, is um, through foster care, um, because they're already in foster care and um, we don't have those sort of um, other overheads, it's cheaper. So it, huh. for us, it mostly comes down to things like legal fees. And what's, in, what's actually really great, okay. too, is like if that's a, a real concern, the county has... A, uh, so Montgomery County, I and mean, this is true about most 
places you foster care, they have um, some things to help with legal fees, you know, and so um, you would get like a one-time sort of like you fi- fill out a form and they'd be like, okay, here's whatever, like 500 bucks to help go towards the legal fees of hiring a lawyer to go through just the, the wow, paperwork nice. of adopting. So there's um, a sense of it's avoids a lot of the extra overhead. So just to care. adopt someone outright would be a really expensive and probably in a lot of cases prohibitively expensive because it's just a lot of money. Yeah. But with foster care, you're saying it's a lot easier. Yeah, that's true. So it's easier like in the monetary sense of yeah. how much it costs. And like, I don't know what else goes into some of those private adoption agencies just because I don't, I don't know. I know there's, you know, a lot of places do who do like fundraising to help that. You know, if that's sort of the route you want to go. Um, but I think it's also just has a sense of if it's a private thing, um, the company who's doing it itself has to pay for a lot of those things. Whereas through like foster care, we do foster care through the county, which is sort of a government agency. And so um, on the back end, they have like tax dollars to help with um, medical expenses or whatever's going into um, those you know, considerations. Yeah. So this is a question I, this is a very personal question that like I would want an answer to specifically, just right. me. And I think there's probably I'll people out there. I'll whisper it to you. Right. What's that? I'll whisper it to you so no one else can hear. <laughs> or just, you'll hear footsteps, like walk away. <laughs> um, so when I think of fostering a child, mm-hmm. I think kind of like, babysitting and when i when i babysit someone else's kids i like i don't really like them that much or and i don't love them you know like my own kids and there's this like automatic you know barrier maybe it's a barrier maybe i could describe it like that and i have you know less patience and all that and uh and i i wouldn't imagine like babysitting for a couple years you know it just seems like It just seems like a lot, like, I don't know. Okay, all I know is with my own kids, I have this, like, natural just, like, love. It just, like, happens. I don't have to, like, stir up anything in me. I don't have to choose it sometimes. It just, like, pours out of me. I just see it. They look like mom, and they, they look at me, and I made that kid. And there's all this stuff, like, with that. But with foster care, like, maybe the question is, is it difficult to, like you mentioned earlier, give your heart mm-hmm. to this child? Does it feel oftentimes like someone else's child that you're just babysitting, or what's yeah, the difference there? Great question. Um, yes, it's hard, right? And there is a lot of times sort of when you're struggling with something, that, that thought comes to your mind. And this is something which I think most foster parents will say. Like when you're feeling down, sometimes it just feels... Like you're babysitting someone else's kid, right? Mm. That is definitely a feeling that you they can come across. Um, I don't think that's what's happening, right? Because there's a lot that we're sort of providing, you know, um, nurturing in, in a real way, and we're um, in a lot of ways while they're here, like we are the parents, right? There's there's a reason they're um, like the parental rights are temporarily revoked uh, on the birth parents, so like we have to take over that whole thing. But you're right, that is something that is, is tough. And so um, a couple things that happen with that sometimes, um, you know, this is going to sound kind of weird, but like we're, uh, 
if the kid's in a good mood, it's a lot easier, right? And that just makes sense. You're like, oh, hey, they're smiling. They're cute right now. Oh, great. I'm not babysitting someone else's kid. You know, this is this is awesome. Like, we're here. Um, but then, you know, especially when they're like, um, you know, with older ones, when they're like, you're not my dad. Yeah. You know, that's really hard, you know, mm. um, and how you, how you deal with that. And so I don't think there's an easy answer to that, but it is something that is experienced. And you do have to, I guess, deal with and try to figure out, like, in that moment, like, what... Like what is important? Like, is it this, I guess, this feeling I have that I'm babysitting? Um, what do I need to do to sort of sort of be the best, you know, like foster parent that I could be, you know? And so <laughs> Yeah, I, and actually I come to that. think of it, I'm trying I'm thinking back over just like the past week and I didn't have a lot of feelings of love for my kids. <laughs> like it, it felt like a lot of work, right? It yeah. felt like I'm just doing stuff and like gritting my teeth and trying not to blow up. Um being frustrated and like try not to yell too loud. Um, so I imagine it's just very similar. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, there's, <laughs> I think for a lot of time it takes a little, uh, you, know, you have to sort of rev the engine a little bit. You know, you, you come into like a new, a new placement. You aren't going to get the feelies right away. Usually. Right. Um, sometimes you do. Um, but often it says, okay, well, you need a child in our house. Let's do everything we can. Um, and then, know over time just like you know, mm. friendships or whatever it is you they, they kind of grow and then you say like oh you don't know when it happens but at some point you're like oh it yeah, happens though yeah, absolutely and yeah. i guess that's the bottom line yeah. is it, it does happen because with each of these you know with with j and z even though like you said with z it was a little easier it still hurt each time mm-hmm. so you got to the point where it's like i wish i could have you forever yeah yeah, and it makes me think of God the Father's relationship with us because in a certain sense, like, Jesus is his only, I mean, he is his only begotten son, mm-hmm. but then the rest of us are the foster kids, right? <laughs> yeah. the ad- ob- adopted ones if we're, if we're right. baptized. Um, yeah, and he just chooses us, and uh, you're a good witness for that, and I'm glad you were doing your part. Um, I wish more people would do what you're doing. Um, what would you say to people out there who been married a few years and still don't have children? They're kind of maybe leaning a little bit towards, you know, um, being dinks, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just like, uh, but they're hope they're hopeful, right? They're they're praying. They're like going on pilgrimages to like oh, maybe this year it'll work or whatever, but it still hasn't worked. Like, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would say a, a couple things. Um, one, be open to it, you know, be open to other other things. So adoption, like foster care, I think are are good. And I guess some things that influenced me, I didn't realize it at first, but things like like my pro-life upgr- upbringing, right, where you sense of like, oh, yeah, I'm, I want to be for these kids, right? And so this is one way that we can sort of act that out. And I think that's, that's helpful. Um, and I would say also like, just get some information about it because a lot of people don't know. Right. So things like, um, like exactly. You said like, what's foster care. Right. Um, I know, I think I had a, a Spanish teacher and there's no word in Spanish for foster care. It's just, people don't know about it. Right. So like, why well, have a word? Um, and so you can go to, um, at least in, in this County. And I know they have them other places. There's sort of like come and see or, 
uh, information nights that you can go to. And it's not a commitment, but you just go here. Like, mm. What would it look like? Um, and they host them, and they're normally, they have, like, candy bars in the back. And hey. you can, yeah, have some, some gross coffee if you want. <laughs> <laughs> but just, just learn about it. And that's, that's really huge. And then um, I guess the a final thing I would say um, is, like, for us, like, it was, um, did take some time to decide it, right? Um, but what sort of made us really get into it was just choosing it. You know, I think that's something that, like, you're kind of like, okay, now should I do this? And we say, like, let's just choose it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did. And that's, like, a really big, I guess, rule I have. And I think that's true where making a choice one way or the other mm. um, is better than just sort of floundering, right, different ways. Right. And what's um, interesting about foster care, and I don't know if this is a good way out or whatnot, but it's – it doesn't have to be a permanent thing. So, like, if you just wanted to open up your house and say, like, I want to do this for a few years, you can absolutely do that, right? Um, and, like, they normally have a good sense of, like, is this child going to be looking for a permanent home, for, like, an, an adoptive home? Um, and they can use that information to say, well, if you want an adoptive placement, we can make this happen. Mm-hmm. If you are hoping or more of just for sort of temporary foster care placements, they'll also can make that happen as well. So that's something where, um, say, it's has some variety. And um, even if you choose and you say, ooh, that was the wrong choice, like it's, it doesn't have to be forever if that's something that you're concerned of. Because I know some people are like that. Um, although this is, this is a great... I just want to add this one thing which they don't want you to do. There's this... <laughs> and this is... I didn't know about this. But so like for us, we were struggling... Right, and that uh, with conceiving, still are. There's a superstition, or maybe it's a true thing, I don't know. But they say people will sign up for foster care to get pregnant. <laughs> I've heard of that happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Where I guess it's common enough where people say, like, okay, I'm so stressed about this whole situation. Where does someone get pregnant, pregnant with twins after doing that, yeah. after getting a placement? Yeah, so <laughs> at least in Montgomery County, they're very careful saying, like, Please don't make that your reason, because a terrible reason for our kids. But you know, but, if that's not your reason, and you happen to get pregnant, that's okay, right? It could be maybe reason number hundred, <laughs> exactly, in the illative sense of Cardinal Newman. Right? There's, <laughs> yes. It's one of the reasons, it's not the only one. Right? That's great. Yeah, that's really good. So uh, let's switch gears here. Yeah, this is a question that uh, kind of gets into um, Amber and I are going to do a podcast on the eighty twenty principle so Mm -hmm. that it says that 20 percent of your effort yields 80 percent of the result i think it's pareto's principle okay so that's true in like business and and everything and we want to apply it to married life and come up with like what are the 20 percent things that like that um you know as husbands, we can do for our wives that yield 80% of their flourishing mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. But anyways, we're, we're just guys here. So mm-hmm. um, I think every wife out there wants to know how to love their husbands better. <laughs> uh, yeah. We hope so. <laughs> if they don't, I don't know. Amber told me to ask this question. So um, what can wives do to like help, help love us better? Like help help us flourish and i have uh, just this short um little example 
it's kind of silly, but it like made my week. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, as a guy, I'm really concerned with like, like I'm thinking about, you know, how to survive almost constantly. Like, right. um, okay, if this happens in the country, like where are we getting our food supply from or how do I build like a container that can catch rainwater and, or even if it's not that like, you know, primal, it's still mm-hmm. like, where's the paycheck coming from? How much yeah. money's coming in, you know, next month? So I think guys almost universally think about those things. Like they're, they're burdened kind of constantly with like, you know, making ends meet. And that's just like a constant thing over their heads. So like work is, it's not so much about, it's not hard because necessarily the, the actual work we're doing, I'll just say what I'm doing because I'll just mm-hmm. speak for myself, but work's not hard because it's really hard to do what I do. It's just hard because there's this pressure that comes with it. Yeah. And then when you get to the dinner table and it's just like chaos and then like putting the kids down, it's just more chaos and it's like the end of a marathon and you're just out of energy and then after the kids are down, the house is a mess. It's time to clean up. It's mm. like, oh, man. And then sometimes you get to the end of the night, and you've cleaned up, and everything's sorted. And it's like, we should really go to bed now. <laughs> that was an axe. <laughs> you just knocked an axe with your hand. Well done. <laughs> Maybe it's a bad place to keep my axe. <laughs> that was great. Seems manly, though. Seems haunted. <laughs> um, and then... You know, Amber and I will find ourselves staying up really late because I just, we want time together, but then we're going to bed at like midnight and then it's do it all over again. I don't want to go to bed because then I wake up and I have all this pressure and, you know, rinse and repeat. But there was this one time where um, the kids weren't even down. We finished dinner and Amber looks at me and she says, do you want to just, I think she knew I was having a tough day because I was like, you know, glazy-eyed, like, trying to listen to my kid's story about, you know, the bug they found outside. I'm just, like, I'm trying to care. I'm looking at their face, and I'm trying to care. And I just, I'm so, like, sapped uh, with energy. And she looks at me, and she says, "Um, do you want to just go on a drive and go to the board game store? (laughs) Nice. That's exactly what I want to do. So I got in the car, by myself, Amber knows that one of my love languages is like time by myself, <laughs> which isn't a love language. It's, <laughs> you wrote the language. Right? Yeah. Um, I just love myself. And uh, so I just, I really enjoyed driving to this board game store. I didn't even buy anything. I just looked at things and touched them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like turning boxes around in my hands. Yeah. And uh, just this this moment, I think the key was, it was a time when I didn't have to worry about anything. Like I could just, you know, you call it the nothing box or whatever you want to do. I think this is why men a lot of times will like get sucked into sports yeah, and like food and like going to the bar or whatever it is because they can just, just for a moment, like not have to worry about all that other stuff that's that they need to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was just a moment where I could just, be alone and not have to worry about anything and just like veg a little yeah. bit. What about for you? What 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 the kind of things come to mind? Yeah, that's great. Um, so I guess for me, you know, there's 
a lot of similarity with what you said in that um, I'm always trying to be intentional not to let, you know, worries about money or things like that, like, get me down or uh, if I'm grumpy, you know, um, trying not to let that affect my, my time with the kids. And so a couple of things that I think are um, really helpful for me, and they, maybe they seem, I don't know, super simple, uh, but even just things like, like when I come home, right, uh, after after day of work, I normally just feel like I need to get home so I can see see the kids and, uh, and just, like, spend some time with them. And so that's something that when I get home, normally Jen is like, okay, they're yours, right? And <laughs> she'll go and, like, make dinner or something or, like, or clean up at, at that kind of time of the day, which um, I really enjoy that time with the kids, and I think that's helpful for me just because I know um, after, you know, so I get home, say, like, 4.30, by, like, 5.30, it's, like, dinner and bedtime, so there's, like, an hour right there where – you know, I get to spend time and I normally like play music with them or whatever. And so that's just like a really good time in the middle of the day where I know she is often sort of like a little stressed about like, okay, I have to make dinner for everybody. I need to get all this stuff done. And like, I think maybe that's where I could help more often sometimes, but I, I'm, I'm bad about that. But she gives me that time. And then at the end, after they're asleep, she's like, okay, now we kind of had this, this breakup where she's like, now I'm going to go do what I need to do, but you get to sort of clean up and then, that's something though where, kind of like you're saying, I do enjoy. Yeah, yeah, just sort of like a little bit of time to do that. You know, um, she's also I guess just like really good about knowing when I have things I have to do. So things like hmm. um, if I am how to put it, so I'll have for instance uh, I'm taking some like online classes and I just have to like work, and she'll be very conscious about that. Like, okay, he's doing that. I'll do whatever I need to do around the house without sort of forcing him to to give that up. And so that's really helpful for me. Right? To, or to feel sort of, bad that you have to do it. Kind of. Yeah, exactly. And that's something where I'm always sort of dealing with, I guess, where a sense of like, I feel like I need to be doing more. Um, but this is actually something where, I don't know where exactly this comes off for you, but for us in our marriage, this is helpful for me uh, in general. I don't know if it's always helpful like right at that moment, but I, what I find it helpful is she'll say things like, Nathan, you're grumpy right now. Like, oh, okay. Now I know, right? You know, it's, it's something where... Amber would never it, say that to me. It, if she points it out, I say, okay, I should be doing this. But then even things like she'll tell me what, what I could be doing, which I find is helpful. So she's mm. things like... Yes, yeah, yeah that's, that's great. That's great, because I'm like, she's like, oh man, if only you would do like one load of laundry a day. I was like, okay. Thanks that's for like, telling me. Yeah, right? That's like <laughs> one minute of my time, right? To to change the load and then whatever, like 10 yeah. minutes later on to fold... And you're like, that's easy. And you, you let me know, right? And that's yes. something which... Um, I don't know, it's just really, really helpful when I know I have strict strict rules. Just give me a list. I said that to a lot. Just please just give me a list what I could do. <laughs> Amber made a list for me yeah. last weekend. A honeydew list. Put it on the yeah. fridge. It was great. Just to know like these are the things she wants done and I can do them. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, bada bing, bada boom. Right. And that's something too. I don't know if you get this as well. So like with that same thing where there's a way of doing it well and a way of doing it um not as well. So like if it's written down. Or just like give it to me. He's like, here's the thing I need, I need you to do today. Then I can sort of like pace myself, get it done rightly. And that's that's better than like, oh, no, like we need this done right now. I was like, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> She's like, did you make dinner for the kids? I didn't know I was supposed to make dinner. Yeah, for the kids. so men are like, a, <laughs> if you ever play Sims, yeah, where you like give them a task, uh-huh. and it's like one thing at a time, and uh-huh. it's, it's this load. So at the beginning of the day, I think men, you know, driving into work or whatever will like, Make this list of like, okay, yeah. get into work, 
this is the most important thing, and then this, and then um, get home, and then this. And there's this big, like, pancaking of all these things, like, to-dos. And then when you just throw one in there, like, like, last minute, it's panic mode. It's like... (laughs) Oh no, this is gonna fall over. It's right. gonna tip over. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I'm so bad. And this is something where <laughs> she knows this of me, and we're still working with it. I'm so bad at multitasking. It's terrible. It's terrible. So things like she's like, will you like put their coats on and get their shoes on? I'm like, whoa there. <laughs> <laughs> That's two separate things. <laughs> Tell me to look for the shoes and I'll go do that. Or better yet, you find the shoes, I'll sit on the couch and then I'll do a hundred things for you, but just one at a time. Right? Yeah, just give me a list, man. That's that's really good. What I what I know it because then I think that's the hardest thing when I I don't always need to be like given a, a gift of like something just for me, but like knowing, hey, here's what I can do to make everything nice and to sort of lighten the load of you know, the whole household. Like, okay, if I can do this and get everything figured out, kind of like you're saying, just like plan it out. That's really, really helpful for mm. me. Here's one other thing I thought of, kind of just a small thing that makes a big difference, is um, gratitude. Uh, you know, there's dozens of scripture verses that I don't know, and wise things that Chesterton said that Nathan knows, where, um, like, a, a happy wife is a happy home, right? Mm. Happy wife, happy life. And... The, the mood of the mom has such a big effect on the home. Right. <laughs> and so just a little bit of gratitude, a little bit of like, like when Amber comes up to me, she, she'll she say something like, I love my life. And when I see she's happy, even if like everything at work is crumbling and I'm worried about a lot of different things, the fact that my wife is happy is yeah. like that. That's like, you know, number one priority done and and i don't have to worry about it and it actually everything's okay because my yeah. wife is okay yeah there's something really big about that the inverse is also true <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> who has yeah the most power for good also has the most power right for for ill yeah yeah as spider-man says right and there's um yeah just something to echo that that i really like when I guess when there's laughter, you know, and music in the home and just things like, yeah, it's yeah. such a big difference. Yeah. yeah. There's this song that our kids listen to now when they brush their teeth. It's stupid. It's it's this big blue robot who brushes his teeth. <laughs> and there's this yes, voiceover of this really cool, like, rapper guy. He's like, oh, man. You got gunk on your teeth. <laughs> Let's get out those toothbrushes. And then he does this song to like help the kids brush their teeth. And it's a stupid song, but then me and Amber will start dancing to it. Oh, and yeah. it's things like that. that Yo, just like, yeah, it's so good. Oh, man. It just, it makes, I think, maybe I could just like armchair psychologize that a little bit. Mm-hmm. This just top of the head, but there's something about... Um, silly things that like make it seem like you know the stuff i'm worried about at work or the pressures i have are actually not that big of a deal yeah you know we're just like like when you went to belize like when you're newlyweds like it's it's an adventure you're all just like you're running hand in hand into the sunrise and whatever (laughs) um but then 
the kids come and the pressures come and all that. Mm -hmm. But it's these little moments that can kind of take the edge off a little yeah. bit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's really big, too, in a sense of, like, I have this song I'll play for the kids. I'll just, I'll just pull out the guitar and just make up the melody every time. But the words are pretty easy because it's like squat, squat, spin, spin, clap your hands, you know, and it's just like listing different moves and they can do them all. And that for me is like the best, best thing when like they're, they're dancing and they're, you know, I've maybe put it in perspective. They're like one, they can't say any of these words, <laughs> but they know them. Right. Nice, and so yeah. like, this is like the, the sign that I have that they speak, you know, they understand English is, is these sorts of things. And then that's, I don't know, that's just that sense of we're here and this is sort of the, the reason I work, you know, it's not the other reason around. And that's something which I'm not home to rest to prepare for work. Like I'm working so that I can have this home. And that's yes. something that's really helpful for me to say like, this is it. This, this is the celebration, you know, let's take advantage of that. That's great. So last question, what's your favorite thing? And if I think of something I can answer too, but you have to answer it first. <laughs> what's, <laughs> your, favorite thing? what's your favorite thing about being a dad? Ooh, the power. <laughs> <laughs> they do what I say. No, oh man, that's. I have to list it. Is it the? Say, is it Jafar who says unlimited power? Yeah, me. yeah. Eighty <laughs> <laughs> bit living space. Is that what it is? <laughs> like maybe I'll I'll cheat and say. I guess two things like on, on the one hand, like so being a dad, like it's clearly has this, this, this correlate of, uh, the children. Right. And so like with, with my, my kiddos, there's, I guess there's this weird sense of, I really like giving them things and, and loving them and, and preparing them. And that uh, for me, um, is sort of highlighted and has an extra little sparkle, like a little smile with a, with a glint when, like they're happy and enjoying just good, wholesome things. And that sort of moment is great. And so I think that's sort of a culmination of this sense of being able to just sort of provide, you know, pour myself out and however I can so that um, I don't know why, you know, I don't know why that's is what it is, but that sense of it's really fulfilling to give of myself and that's a really easy way of doing it. Um, easy in the sense of I know, you know, uh, who deserves it. I guess another way of saying that, here, let me say it this way. Um, for all those dinks out there, you've got, you've got some, some homework to do in the sense of, you know, feed the poor I'm, or feed the hungry, you know, uh, alms for the poor, clothe the naked. Um, but if you could have hungry naked humans brought into your home right it's <laughs> it's suddenly really easy to know you're calling like where you're supposed to pour out your time it's and, basically like, what just about efficiency to do. yeah right <laughs> and if those uh you know hungry naked humans happen to also be your children which is <laughs> where i was going with this is <laughs> not just any naked humans <laughs> It was a tiny you know, naked human. Now, now that I've clarified it, you think, oh no, why'd you clarify it and made it worse, right? Uh, <laughs> but it's it's just such a, a fulfilling thing to give of yourself. And it's weird, yeah. right? It's just like this outpouring, which seems like, oh, shouldn't you be emptying? But it's, mm. I don't know, it's fulfilling. It's fulfilling in a surprising way. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're if we're not giving of ourselves, 
then we're just boring dinks in our own way, right? We're, right. we're just like, um, and maybe that's that's kind of another way to say what you said is uh, having children in your home kind of makes makes your life immediately and apparently and obviously not your own. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, they need something. I have to do something. Right. <laughs> or they're fighting. I have to do something. Yeah. Or oh, I got to love them and I got to choose it right now. And I, I have to put down, you know, the phone I'm looking at or whatever it is. Um, yeah. 3 a.m. They're crying. You know what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's probably a good, good place to leave it is, best thing about being a dad is you're just able to give of yourself and see your children flourish mm-hmm. that's the best i love that they look at me and they see me as dad you know yeah that's that's a they look at me and dad yeah <laughs> just... and the you mentioned power i think that's a good one because we do have a lot of power over our kids mm-hmm. and we, we have a lot of power for a lot of good. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, there's this great moment when I come home from work where they, they see me and they start screaming, Dada! <laughs> they start like banging stuff, but then they like run because they just get too excited and they just yeah. like run all over the place. What is it about the presence of a dad that makes kids want to hit things and like run around? <laughs> yeah, so they start like banging on the glass like, don't bang on that. <laughs> I don't know, because you think they'd run to me, but they, they run and then they run away because they're just so excited. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, let's say a prayer and we'll yeah. close it there and finish the scotch. You already finished yours. And the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for this time with Nathan. Um, thank you for uh, our marriages, for calling us to be husbands, and for um, giving us the grace to build little um, homes of refuge and flourishing. For little kids, um, please give us grace to um, choose love and to help our children flourish. Um, All those who are listening who are thinking about being foster parents, um, even if they have kids of their own, I pray you can help them take the next step and start to speak clearly to them um, that you might be calling them to take the next step. Be clear with us, Lord. Help us serve you. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Father, Son, Amen. Hi, friends. You have been listening to Diapers and Disciples. To find out more about the podcast, you can visit diapersanddisciples.com. You can also visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Diapers and Disciples. To learn more about supporting the show, visit patreon.com slash diapersanddisciples. Thanks so much for listening today. Until next time, God bless.